Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Stand by to launch FanStream Sports. Three, two, one. Let's start. Hello, sports fans. Welcome to FanStream Sports. Nothing, nothing but pure sports. Welcome, everybody, to FanStream Sports, powered by DSP Media. This is the Fighting Irish Daily Blitz, and I'm your host, Rob Fitoff, also known as RPT. You can find me on Twitter, at PFitoff. So for episode 85 today, it's going to be in relationship to the NBA Finals that are currently going on. We're, I think tomorrow's probably going to be it, but we shall see. I'm taping as of Sunday. Uh, the next game, Game 5, is this Monday between the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat, Denver's up three to one. I really, I've really uh, taken a liking to this team. I the, the Denver Nuggets, they play well as a team. They do have superstars on the team, but for now, it seems like there's not really any too big of an ego right now. We'll see if that stays the same. If they can keep this team together, uh, you know, various players under contract, keep their coach. They got a pretty good coach. I believe his name's uh, Mike Malone. It's either Mike Malone or Mark Malone, but they. Um, they have a good thing going right now and just keep those egos in check, get everybody under contract as much as you can. I mean, you can't keep everybody, but uh, it's just nice to have a team to really pull for um, with the players you like. I mean, nothing against LeBron, but I'm kind of getting tired of him. He's been around for a while. Let's face it. He, he does whine and complain like a drama queen at times. Some seems like every time he breaks a fingernail, he's whining. I mean, those, if he played in the NBA in the late 80s, early 90s with the bad boys and all those teams, I wonder how tough he would have been. But that's a discussion for a different day. All I know is Michael Jordan had to really um, get more physical, beef up his body to compete with the Pistons, and then eventually you know, get his championships. But in any event, with the NBA going on right now, and I started to think... Uh, I want to do maybe one more podcast for basketball before we get full-time into football coming up. And I'll probably do something with the girls team uh, closer to when school starts. What I'm trying to get at with the NBA winding down, who's the Mount Rushmore for Notre Dame men's basketball in the NBA? Not what they did in their college career, but what they did in the NBA. Who are the top four players? So here's the thing. I, I had some criteria for this, but let me take one more step back right here. People are probably asking, why aren't you talking about Jack Swarbrick stepping down as the athletic director for Notre Dame? It happened uh, earlier this week. I will get to that at some, probably my next podcast. I wanted to kind of let that marinate a little bit before I get my true thoughts down. But uh, I have been pronouncing the name of the, or practicing the pronunciation of the new athletic director who will be taking over in early 2024. I believe he's on the job training as we speak, or it's getting close to that point where he will be kind of learning under uh, Jack Swarbrick. But um, the name is Pete Bavacqua. I'll say that again, Pete Bavacqua. Just, uh, I noticed when I did it slower, I got the pronunciation down a lot better. Bavacqua. Again, Bavacqua. You're getting a uh, tutorial from RPT right now, probably more than you wanted, but it is what it is. I thought DJ Uyunglele was t- 
tough to pronounce, but I have that down in my sleeve now. Uyungalay, Uyungalay, Uyungalay. But hopefully I'll have Bavakwa down before you know it. He's a um, now former uh, head of the sports department or ran NBC Sports is what I'm trying to say for four years. He is a Notre Dame graduate. He also graduated from law school at Georgetown. He went to Notre Dame from 89 to 93. Ironically, he was a backup punter. And that was when Notre Dame was in its heyday for football, at least in my lifetime. I say 88 to 93. That was the so-called holy grail of Notre Dame football teams in my lifetime. So I wish him the best. Uh, nothing gets Jack Swarbrick. I thought he did some really good things at Notre Dame in his 16 years. But I thought him and Ron Paulus, who a lot of people thought he would take over for Jack when he eventually stepped down. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But I thought with uh, recent issues and turnover, especially with the football coaching staff this year, uh, not so much the other sports, but with football, which is the bread and butter, let's let's just face it. I thought they, to put it bluntly, shit the bed this offseason with the football uh, hirings, especially um, uh, shitting the bed with uh, the Andy Ludwig uh, fiasco. He was going to be the offensive coordinator probably for us coming from Utah. That didn't happen, but it is what it is. But good luck to Jack, whatever he does, whether he truly retires or does something else. But uh, Pete Bavacqua is going to be taking over, and I'll have a podcast on that at some time, probably my next one. And then also in July, um, we wanted to do this before the so-called experts do their analysis for the 2023 Notre Dame football season. I mentioned this earlier in other podcasts. Greg Schaefer from East of the Bend Productions is going to be my guest. I want to have Greg write down five things he's most concerned about for the 2023 football season. I'm going to do the same. And then we're not going to talk about it at all until the podcast and see how similar we are with our top five concerns. Usually Greg and I are 80 to 90% on the same page. Sometimes we are not, but we just kind of want to see where we're at. And we'll probably do real quick to a, uh, our predictions for the upcoming season, but that'll be in July as well. Greg uh, Schaefer from Issa Bend Productions. Having said that, on to the main subject here, uh, Notre Dame men's basketball, Mount Rushmore for players that played in the NBA. NBA career, not the college career. So there's some, about four to five criteria items I went to uh, to do this analysis on. And what I struggled with the most, one, some of these players that were either, I was debating whether to put them on the Mount Rushmore or whether they just missed it, is some of these players, yes, I saw play. One, I never saw play at all. He, I was born at the time, but I was only maybe four or five when he retired. So I had to look at or read articles, look at some YouTube videos, ask around other people. Uh, People, because I like to, for me, I always said for me to do a true analysis of a best of, they had to be in my lifetime. Because Jim Brown, just take a step back to kind of uh, give you a similar situation. Jim Brown just passed away. Like my dad's 81, and anyone around my dad's age or even older, even younger, let's say if you're 60 to 90 right now and you're a male. 80 to or 90 to 95% of them, if not more, are going to say Jim Brown was the greatest running back, if not the greatest NFL player of all time. He had retired before I was even born. 
And I was, cause all, that's all I ever heard. Jim Brown, Jim Brown, Jim Brown from either, uh, you know, my dad or, uh, males around my dad's age or uncles or around my dad's age, you name it. So for me with this, for me, Barry Sanders was the greatest running back to ever that I saw in my lifetime, but I saw him play uh, when I was a kid. So for this one, I had to, for a couple of players, I really had to dig deep with uh, research because I mean, I knew they had some really good stats and they were good at Notre Dame and they had somewhat of a decent career at, uh, in the NBA. So that's what I struggled with um, for, uh, for this analysis. So here's the main things are their stats, all-star appearances, longevity in the NBA, playoff success, and NBA finals uh, success. And then also, too, I don't want to say popularity, but if you hear that name just for an any common or just a, a regular sports fan, does that name resonate? Whether you like them a player or do you not like them at a player, but you say, oh, yeah, I remember them in the NBA. They had some decent stats where it resonates with just the average person when you say that person's name. So having said that, we're going to start off with the first two were no brainers. The third one, I kind of had to think it over, but the fourth one, I would have done this podcast three days earlier, but I've been thinking about this for the last three days because I just kept going back and forth. One moment I'd say this person, then another moment I'd say the other person. So I just, uh, it, it took a while. And then also, I mean, I'm wearing my, here's the thing too, I'm wearing a Notre Dame jersey. It's actually, I don't know if you can see it, but 35, it's Bonzi Colson's old jersey. That was another thing too, why I had to go back so far. Probably the last 30 years, there hasn't been any player from Notre Dame in the NBA that came close to this list. Hopefully that changes with Coach Shrewsbury, with uh, you know the players he coaches at Notre Dame, and if they do go to the NBA. We've had some decent players. As I mentioned last week, Lafonso Ellis, had he not been injury prone during his NBA career, he's probably on the Mount Rushmore. But other players like Troy Murphy, solid player. Not close to Mount Rushmore. Pat Connaughton, two years ago, won a NBA title with the Milwaukee Bucks. Has had a solid NBA career since he uh, joined the league in 2015. But nowhere near the Mount Rushmore. Jaron Grant, he's been okay in the NBA. He may be overseas now, too. Who else? Uh, Luke Herringote, I don't think he plays anymore. You know, Bonzi with right here, you know, the 30, trying to get it up. Yeah, 35. I think he's playing in Israel right now. So that's why I had to go back to when some players were, you know, I barely had a memory at all. So, so here we go. So the first two are no brainers here. And I, the, these players were big during my, when I was a you know teenager or even before I was a teenager, Adrian Dantley played from 1976 to 1991. One year was overseas. He averaged 24.3 points per game. 5.7 rebounds and three assists for his career. All-star, 1980, 81, 82, 84, 85, 86, all all-star appearances. He's the 1977 Rookie of the Year, 1984 Comeback Player of the Year, All-NBA Team, Second Team, All-NBA Second Team, 81 and 84. Two-time scoring champion, 1981, he averaged 30.7 points per game. In 1984, he averaged 30.6 points per game. And had it not been for Isaiah Thomas, he would have a NBA championship ring. If you look at one of my prior podcasts, when I first started doing this last year, 
uh, it was about Bill Lambeer, how I, even though he's considered a bully and, uh, you know, not well respected by certain fans, you name it. He's respected in Detroit, but other, you know, thought he was a dirty player, a cheap shotter, whatever. But I had more respect for him because Isaiah wanted his buddy, Mark Aguirre, to come to the Pistons in 1989. And they traded for him. And Adrian went to the Dallas Mavericks. The Pistons got their ring. Mark Aguirre got his ring. But they still would have won the championship, in my opinion, had Adrian Dantley uh, still been on the team. So, But that's in another podcast if you want to see that. So I, I just mentioned Bill Lambeer. Ironically, Bill Lambeer is number two on the list right here. He played from 80 to 93. He was uh, also overseas from 1979 to 1980. He averaged 12.9 points per game, 9.7 rebounds, so more or less a double-double, and two uh, assists a game. So not great or decent stats, not great stats is what I'm trying to say, but more or less a double-double. He was the rebounding champion from uh, for the year 1986. He was an all-star in 1983, 1984, 1985, in 1987. I didn't realize he was a four-time All-Star. And then, obviously, back-to-back NBA championships uh, wins in 1989 and 1990 with the Detroit Pistons. The third one, I don't remember him as well. Uh, pretty good college career, but solid NBA uh, career as well. Kelly Trapuca played from eight, 1981 to 1991. One year overseas, he averaged 17.2 points per game. 3.8 rebounds and three assists. Two-time NBA All-Star in 1982 and 1984. And in 1982, when he was on the All-Star team, he was also a 1982 All-Rookie team. So that's that's a accomplishment in itself to be on the All-Rookie team and also an All-Star. So really just solid player, pretty good stats, and two All-Star appearances, Kelly Trapuca. So the current Mount Rushmore right now, Adrian Dantley, Bill Lambeer, Kelly Trapuca. Who is number four? I narrowed it down to three players, and this is just in random order. It's, this is going to, like, this was the number one, number two. So, Austin Carr, John Paxson, Orlando Woolridge. So, Austin Carr, he was the number one NBA player selected overall. That's never happened since at Notre Dame. So, the number one player, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers got him. He's a very popular um, player, celebrity, uh, personality. He does the, I think he still is the TV analyst for the Cavs. He's considered Mr. Cavalier. Uh, very popular still with the uh, Cleveland Cavs fans. He played from 1971 to 1981. So he had retired before probably my earliest memory. So around 81 and 82, I started, you know, my memory for certain events and I have a pretty good one, but his last couple years were not the best injuries really plagued him after some decent NBA seasons. He had, he averaged 15.4 points per game, 2.9 rebounds and 2.8 assists. And he was a 1974 all-star. So here, if I look at my cheat sheet here at his early career, so here's this, I'll go for his rookie year till his last year. 21.2 points per game, 20.5 points per game, 21.9 points per game. Then he gets hurt. Only 14.5 and 10.1. Has a bounce back season in 77 for 16.2 points per game. Then back to 12.3 points per game. 
then 17. And then his last four years are very subpar. 11.8 points per game, 4.4 points per game, 2 points per game, and then 4.9. So it started out pretty good for him. But to be a number one overall pick, it, it didn't turn out the way um, many had thought uh, for Austin Carr. But still, really nice guy. I met him right after 9-11 at the Notre Dame-Michigan State game and got his autograph. Really nice guy. Uh, but thing is why I didn't put him on the list right now. He's part of these three that I'm going to – these were the three that I um, narrowed it down to. And we'll get to the overall decision in a little bit here. But solid career, but just one all-star appearance, no championships. And his stats were up and down after the injury. So the next one, John Paxson. Uh, everybody really knows him from the Bulls. He actually started out with the San Antonio Spurs. He had, if I go to his stats here, overall only averaged 7.2 points per game for his career, 1.2 rebounds, and 3.6 assists. He played from 83 to 94, and he had three uh, championships with the Bulls, 91, 92, 93. And people think I'm probably nuts now. Rob, he never averaged more than 10 points per game. Yeah, he got three championships, but he played with, to me, the greatest player of all time in Michael Jordan. Here's the thing, though. He was a key factor in two of those championships, in 1991 and 1993. So he had, so let's first, he did actually average double figures in 87 with the Bulls at 11.3 points per game, but the Bulls weren't even that good then. And then in 1990, the year before they won the championship, he averaged 10 points per game. But here's where he really came up big. In Game 5 against the Lakers in the NBA Finals in 1991, the Bulls won that game 108-101 to to win their first title. First title for Michael Jordan, too. He had 20 points that game. He was 9-12 shooting, and he scored 10 of the last 15 points uh, for the Bulls that game. So let's... I know had the Bulls lost that game, the next two are in Chicago anyway. You're probably saying... Rob, RPT, they probably still would have won at least one of those games. You never know. Stranger things have happened. The Lakers get some confidence. Some, an injury happens. He helped seal the deal for that first title for the Bulls and for Michael Jordan. In 1993, he wasn't a starter anymore. But in game six, with was around two or three seconds left, he hits a three-point shot to, it wasn't at the buzzer, but more or less at the buzzer. Uh, and then uh, Phoenix uh, came down the court, and I believe uh, Horace Grant blocked the shot. But anyway, hit the game-winning shot with about two, three seconds left. Uh, it, the game was in Phoenix. Had they lost that game, uh, for, first of all, that gave uh, the Bulls their first three-peat in 1993. Uh, Michael Jordan's three-peat as well. And had they lost that game to the Phoenix Suns, that's what the first year they had Charles Barkley. Game seven is at Phoenix, and Charles Barkley probably has his championship ring. He never won a championship, but I think if John Paxson doesn't make that shot, uh, the Phoenix Suns win game seven. So, yes, his stats were not the best, but he, he was a key factor in the 91 and 93 Bulls championship runs or, or titles, I should say. And if he's not with the Bulls, Michael Jordan maybe only has four titles. Last player, Orlando Woolridge. He played from 1981 to 1994. 
and then also two years overseas, he averaged 16 points per game, 4.3 rebounds, and one assist per game, and he won a title in 1988 with the Lakers. So never had any all-star appearances, was never like the main guy on a team. He did his first couple years with the Bulls. Actually, Michael Jordan was his teammate. Uh, Michael was you know, scoring 30 points per game, but he was scoring. Uh, here, let me just go to his stats here. He was actually, if we look at Orlando's first couple years with the Bulls, before he ended up going to New Jersey, like his first three years with Michael Jordan were, he averaged 22.9 points per game, 20.7 uh, in his next two years. Now, one of those years, Michael Jordan broke his ankle or his leg. So he was obviously had to score more, but he was just always a solid player. He did, and this has nothing to do with my overall um, last person I say in the uh, Mount Rushmore. He did have some off the off the court issues. Uh, he was banned for a little bit for uh, substance issues, but that has nothing to do with my overall results here. It's based on how you played in the NBA, not what you did off the field. But he ended up cleaning himself up, and then actually had a decent um, he had a decent career as a WNBA coach as well. And he unfortunately he passed away a couple years ago from heart disease, way too young. Um, overall, I heard he was a really good guy. Um, but he did have some off the court issues early on, but just solid stats. He was a human highlight reel, uh, great dunker, uh, great athlete. Uh, it's just, he didn't no all-star appearances and he was never like the main guy on his team. Uh, but still he's mo he's well-deserving to be on this last spot for Mount Rushmore. That's the thing. I'm about ready to give you my decision here. And I may do this a year from now. And this last spot, I may change. I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully, it'd be great for someone in the NBA. Like, maybe Pat Connaughton starts making some all-star games. Some future, you know, Notre Dame player gets on this list. But it was just very tough for me to, you know, Austin Carr, solid numbers, all-star appearance. Orlando Warridge, solid numbers, one NBA title. John Paxson, not great stats. But boy, did he come up clutch in two of those NBA finals. So having said that, my decision between Austin Carr, John Paxson, Orlando Woolrich for the final spot in the Notre Dame men's Mount Rushmore of NBA players is John Paxson. I know that's going to, people are going to think I'm nuts there because his stats were not the best through his career. But I cannot discount the fact for that first three-peat of the Bulls, he was just a key factor in that 91 Game 5. And then Game 6 against the Phoenix Suns, I mean, Michael Jordan and the Bulls could just have four titles at this point had it not been for John Paxson. Just huge. And I know a lot of people are judged on championships and just being great at key moments of their careers. And John Paxson... Uh, checks all the boxes right there. Austin Carr, I just couldn't, too much injuries, uh, only one all-star appearance. After that injury, his stats just really kind of went up and down. Orlando Woolridge, pretty good stats. And he averaged, actually, later in his career, I think it was the 90, let's just do that. I have it up here. Orlando, in his year with the, oh, there it was right here. 
He ended up playing with the Denver Nuggets in 1991. He averaged 25 points per game, but you got to take that with a grain of salt. He was playing for coach Paul Westfeld, and he was, remember Loyola Marymount, the college with Bo Kimball, Hank Gathers, uh, college team. They would run up and down the court. They'd maybe pass the ball once or twice and then shoot nonstop. So they averaged well over 100 points per game for college. He did that same philosophy in the NBA. So Orlando had more chances to score is what I'm trying to say. But still, for his latter part of his career to average 25 points, that's saying something. He had really good stats, great athlete. But, you know, he had the one title with the Lakers, but no all-star appearances. And I know you want to say, well, Paxson had no all-star appearances, but he had more titles. And he is a key factor in two of those titles. I mean, I, I can't say enough. Game five and game six, he was money to give them, uh, to give the Bulls uh, their first title and their third title for that first three-peat. So having said that, I'm just checking my notes here to see if but let me just repeat here now. So here's my Mount Rushmore for Notre Dame men's basketball. Adrian Dantley, Bill Lambeer, Kelly Trapuca, and John Paxson. I repeat, here it is. The RPT, Rob Fitoff, Mount Rushmore for Notre Dame men's basketball for their NBA careers. Adrian Dantley, Bill Lambeer, Kelly Trapuca, and John Paxson. Whether you agree or not, we'll debate that. Uh, in the comment section of YouTube when Tim posts this, uh, you know, say your own Mount Rushmore. I feel this is pretty solid. I think that four spot could change from year to year, but we shall see. But thank you so much. We'll have some upcoming podcasts, as I mentioned before, about uh, the new athletic director and Pete Bavacqua. And then also Greg Schaefer and I will give our top five concerns for the upcoming Notre Dame football uh, 2023 season. And then maybe some special, you know, podcasts here and there. But we're going to get further and further, further and further into this summer. It's going to be mostly talk about football unless we have some major news. So thank you so much for joining me for episode 85. And as always, go Irish.